Psalm 98 says this, O sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and singing praises, singing praises to the Lord with lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Um, that is what we were after at City Church, is to make a joyful noise. Uh, in fact, we, we want that so much that we actually just put it into our vision statement as a church, that we want to seek a revival of joyful worship at City Church, that that's what we want to see uh, in our own hearts, in uh, this city of City Church, and in our city, and in, into all the world. That's what we're really after uh, at City Church. And so, uh, what I wanted to do was make a few announcements uh, this morning, just as it relates to, like, who we are as a church and and where we are going in the new year. Um, I'm going to go ahead and do this just on good faith that there are people actually watching online uh, to discover where we are going, and that people will pick that up uh, after uh, they get back into town and everything. But I do have some really exciting news for us as a body. Uh, first and foremost is that we did finish our budget work. I promised that we would, and uh, like I told you last week, we are taking our overall budget from a expense side of $404,000 uh, to as near as we can to our new projected income for the year, uh, post-COVID, uh, or during COVID, really, and then post-sending uh, people out to salt and light, uh, post-just seeing people kind of rearrange. I've been in discussions with a lot of pastors here locally uh, that are just planning on essentially replanting their churches. That's essentially what we're going to have to do uh, if the immunization works and uh, after all of just kind of the uh, shakeup that has come with just, uh, it's almost as if a sheet has just been, you know, um, I don't know what that's called, but popping a sheet maybe. Um, it just seems like everything's gone everywhere and people are going different places and that's okay. I actually think that God is in that, that He's actually working uh, for the glory of His Son, for the good of His people in and through that, and so we're not afraid of those things. But uh, we are planning on less income, so we have taken our budget essentially from uh, $404,000 a year down to our projected uh, expense of about uh, $250, uh, $255, somewhere right in there. We're still kind of working out the fine, fine point details, but we really did it. God's been really faithful to just show us what areas He wants us to put more money into and what areas like He uh, wants us to cut out that are not necessary, that we need to um, you know, just give up uh, in some ways or be, you know, uh, loosened in our grips on and everything. Now, there have been some of those things that have been really easy, like getting rid of printers at, like, the Lancaster building. Like, we use them, but we don't use them enough to pay as much as we were for them. It's, like, just easy stewardship to go. We don't need multiple printers like the big printers that we were, like, leasing, so we're going to get those back. Uh, there are other things that were actually really difficult. We've had uh, and been very generous, I think, as a church. By God's grace, uh, we've always had way, like, more than 10%, sometimes way more than 10% of the money that comes into our body actually gets, uh, in some way, uh, sent back out of our body body, to church plants, uh, to global efforts, sending missionaries different places, to resourcing pastoral, you know, ministries and resources. Like, we've done a lot of that, and we had to cut a lot of that out for the upcoming year. That doesn't mean that we're neglecting that side of our budget. Uh, we 
are still giving to Actually 9 and SOMA as our church planting networks. We're still supporting a few people that are in our body uh, in uh, their mission efforts here in this city, but we have had to cut a lot of the uh, uh, church planting, um, you know, uh, giving that we've done now for uh, over a decade uh, out of our budget to accomplish that. The other thing that we've done, and this is more of like a non-personal note, is we have decided that we are going to radically reorient where we gather. And so I've essentially cut six months of our gathering expenses out of the budget because we're either going to uh, modify this building to be a more worshipful and joyful space, um, make an investment here um, and, and stay, and in so doing, the, the, to negotiate something with the Texas Girls Car so we don't pay rent, uh, for the improvements that we make to their space uh, so that we can, you know, worship here and still, like, have less money that's going out every single month, uh, or we will gather somewhere else. Uh, but the big piece there is, is that we're going to be planning on, unless something really changes, selling the Lancaster building. Uh, just to have that money, not just to have that money back, but like to actually see uh, the expense side of our budget that goes into that building, which is not insubstantial, uh, decreased after, like completely taken out after about six months. And so that's, that's, that's a pretty big shift that I feel like y'all need to know in terms of budget. And you're like, man, this is a really weird worship service. This is, we're just going to talk about money. No, we're not going to talk about money. We're going to talk about people. This is the most exciting thing for me. And this is like in some ways, like the best Sunday to do this because I wanted to announce before we start the new year who it is that's going to be helping on our lead team and just letting y'all know who those people are. Um, it's also like the worst one because like we're like right in between Christmas and the new year, but we're just going to do it anyway. Uh, none of the people that I'm about to announce we're hiring are here this morning, and that makes me a little sad because I actually do want to celebrate them. Uh, before we do, I want to celebrate somebody else who's been really, really faithful in our body that is actually not going to be a part of our uh, lead team moving forward, and that is actually Roger Shingledecker, who has spent the better part of the last decade uh, making a joyful noise with us by buttons and knobs and all of our AV and uh, everything that's back there that I wouldn't ever touch, ever, because I would destroy it. Uh, he has manned uh, for a decade, and so uh, I want to say on behalf of City Church uh, just how thankful we are for you, Roger, and the uh, years of very faithful week-in and week-out service uh, to our church. Uh, we owe you a debt of gratitude that I'm sure has never been really fully expressed, but I want to at least partially express that this morning. Uh, Roger and his wife, uh, Rebecca, are planning to uh, go with Salt and Light, and so after the... Um, you might still see him around. We'll still, still have some needs, and he's expressed that he really wants to continue uh, helping us here and everything as is needed. But, uh, but after the first of the year, uh, Roger is actually going to be heading to help uh, Salt and Light get their footing in uh, the AV area, but also just as a member uh, of that church. And so uh, it's sad to see you go, uh, but we do love you, and we really appreciate all of, the, uh, all of the work that you put in over the years and everything. And so I want to say thank you, Roger. And I wish that, I wish that honestly, we had the scads of people here that know just how hard you have worked over the course of years to be able to, you know, say that in person and everything. So, uh, whether you're here or listening online, I want you to drop uh, Roger a note if you feel called to, just to tell him how much we appreciate him in that. 
Um, on that note, though, uh, is we won't see a deficit in that area um, or in a lot of the areas because one of the hires that we are going to make is Melody Knight. Some of you know Melody, a world-class uh, musician and pianist, but also like really hard worker. She uh, you know, uh, has uh, gained some expertise in the area of uh, not just audiovisual but media really across the board. She's going to be coming on as our media coordinator. Uh, to help us design logos and uh, to put slides up to modify our website as needed, to put things on social media, to make sure that, uh, you know, uh, my inclination away from social media does not distract uh, people who are actually paying attention uh, to what uh, City Church is doing. Uh, so she's going to be taking on all of those efforts. She's going to be coming on and actually a paid part of our lead team, helping make us uh, really excellent in those areas. And I'm super excited that she is coming on board with us because she is a very talented and humble uh, individual, and I think she's just going to do a fantastic job. One of the areas that City Church has really done poorly in, frankly, for a lot of number of years is, uh, is connections. Uh, coming into church, I feel like we have very welcoming, amazing people, but we've not ever really streamlined that into a process where every person that comes through the door uh, has some sort of, like, interaction, you know, uh, uh, is in some way interacting with, like, the core of our church, has the ability to know exactly what the next step is in terms of figuring out who we are with City 101 or uh, getting into a discipleship group is something that we've always had be a little bit more organic. You kind of had to do it on your own. And there's some positives to that because we're not like forced feeding people into a system and like making you be friends and saying, these are your friends. Uh, we're not doing that, so uh, we've let things be a little bit more natural, but for some people, that's really hard because they don't have the handhold of actually having somebody say, hey, go here, do this thing, uh, know who we are in this place, here's how you get connected, all of those sorts of things. That pipeline from like going to our website for the first time or coming to one of our first gatherings uh, all the way into like fruitful membership has never been something that we've done very well. Uh, but we do have people who are really gifted at that, uh, foremost of which is Mary Hannah Tyre. Mary Hannah Tyre is probably the most welcoming person I've ever met in my life. Uh, she'll give you a hug the first time she meets you. She's not afraid. Uh, and so that is uh, the kind of welcomingness that uh, I do want for City Church to have, uh, the kind of initiative that I want to see in our body to make sure that people are uh, welcoming, loved, cared for when they walk into uh, our gatherings or come to one of our events or, you know, see us online. I want for them to have an easy way of knowing how, how do I express obedience as a Christian to come into a body of believers and actually know how to make that work. Uh, Mary Hannah Tyre is not going to be the sole person responsible for that. Like, our elder team is still overseeing that, and we want to do that, but uh, frankly, my personality, uh, you know, Andrew and Carl, we love meeting people, but uh, we need uh, Mary Hannah Tyre uh, to be that connection, that glue, that person that makes it easy for people to connect. She is amazing. I don't know if you've met her. If you haven't, you're like the only person who hasn't, I think, because she just meets everybody and feels, makes everybody feel very welcome. But we're going to be hiring her this year to actually uh, help us start uh, being more excellent in that area and make sure that we're connecting people in a little bit more fluidly. And I couldn't be more excited about that because uh, she is very gifted at that. Um, the third one I mentioned at the Christmas Eve service, but maybe you haven't heard. This one I'm very excited about as well. Um, 
we have always had a little bit more of an organic, uh, you know, kind of feel to uh, our gatherings, and, uh, you know, have had a variety of musicians up on Sunday mornings, and there's been a lot of really good things that have come out of that. You might come on a, uh, on a week where it's just a piano and a singer, and that's great. It's amazing. Um, and there are other times where they've allowed me to play drums, which is a huge mistake, because I have, like, the worst rhythm that any drummer in history has ever had. Uh, and, and in some ways, that's okay uh, to be a little bit gritty and things like that. Um, but to be a church that's pursuing a revival of joyful worship, um, I really just thought, man, if I'm going to lead us towards that, we need to be more excellent in the area of uh, music and less distracting in that area so that there really can be a joyful noise, just like uh, Psalm uh, 98 is talking about, and the many, many of the Psalms are talking about. Uh, so uh, our church has officially and uh, will officially, January uh, 1, hire um, Andrew Sullivan, who is a professional musician, but maybe more importantly, is just one of the most natural and authentic and gifted musicians I think out there. I think that he, uh, his sound uh, sounds like the city church. It's that not hill song, you know, uh, there's as many people in the band as there are in the seats. Like, it's not that. That's not who we are as a church. But it's also not just like only a cappella, like, you know, on a morning where we've got the Baptist hymnals out. Um, We really have like a very, uh, I think our church, our people, really desire an authentic uh, experience in in meeting with God on Sunday morning. We want to do that through the proclamation of the word in song. That's what we're after. And I really honestly don't think that we could have somebody better lead us into that. Now, I'm going to be talking about how some of this will look over the course of time, because it's not just like January 1 is going to start and we're just going to be excellent at those things, you know, immediately. There's going to, we actually have like a process that I want to see work out over the next couple of uh, quarters, actually. I'm kind of breaking them up in quarters and making sure that we're uh, focusing on things throughout this year that move us towards more simplicity and more excellence in these areas. But uh, those are the three people that we're actually hiring as a body uh, to try to pursue a revival of joyful worship. And I'm super excited because those are people that are like homegrown. They're a part of our body. We're not hiring somebody from outside that we're all going to have to learn how to trust in some way. Um, They're people that we know, and they're people that are honestly just moving out in their giftings, and all we're doing is really just anointing them and resourcing them in a way that I think will, uh, will actually allow for City Church to thrive in our vision, in our mission, in these areas of worship that we're trying to, like, execute on. So, I, I know that that's a lot of, like, very strategic information, and honestly, there's a bit of a sandwich that's going to happen this morning, because in the simplicity, I'm trying to give you some of those elements up front. Then we're going to hear from God's Word out of Matthew chapter 5. In fact, you can go ahead and uh, turn there if you like um, and everything, but uh, we're going to uh, be there in Matthew chapter 5. And then at the end of that, I'm actually going to just to signify the fact that I'm not preaching anymore, um, I'm actually going to take a stool and sit down and we're going to talk just strategically through what a city church is. What, what are we going to be? Who are we going to be? And I'm actually going to provide some space uh, this morning for questions, not just here but online as well, um, uh, so that we can just talk about it. So before we hit the new year, so that everybody is as clear as we can be about like where we're headed into this new year. So that's uh, not necessarily the most worshipful, like easy place to start uh, this morning, but it is something that I, th- I hope is just like striking a match setting the fuse for what 2021, I'm praying, ends up being. 
want to, uh, this morning, let you guys know that we're, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Keep your uh, hand there, because uh, that's going to be our primary text. But I, uh, I do want to ask you a question that's going to lead us very briefly to another place in Scripture. If, if you were to be asked, of course you wouldn't be asked, but if you were to be asked by somebody that asked you, hey, what, what church do you go to? And you said City Church, uh, and they were to say, uh, what is, why that name? What's that name mean? Um, what would it be? Uh, of course, I'm not saying at all that anybody has ever asked you that question because we all know how that conversation really goes. Where do you go to church? City church. And you, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. And you almost like interrupt them. It's like, no, it's not that one. It's not, that's seven city church. They're on Lancaster. Like, well, no, 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 I, I was thinking about another one. It's uh, uh, church of this, now it's church of the city. It's not city church. Uh, it's uh, not cross city. It's not loft city. It's not city temple. It's not city view. If we can all be honest, it's not the greatest name on earth, City Church. It's not, because it doesn't tell you much of anything if, if you just kind of approach it from like it's, you know, bare specifics. What is City Church? So I'm asking you this morning, like, how would you, how would you answer that if somebody were to ask you, like, you know, hey, what, why City Church? Why is the name of your church City Church? What would you answer? Now, I, I, here's what I think. I think that most of us have some inclination about, like, well, we, we love our city, because, of course, we do. Fort Worth is an amazing city, and we are for the city of Fort Worth, and it is, in some sense, our mission. Like, we're, we're called on mission to the city of Fort Worth. But what I'm really asking you about is not like, you know, uh, anything having to do with the city. Is why are we named the city church? Why would it be so important that we, like, bury it in the name of our church. Now, for a lot of us, you've probably been uh, or know enough about like our Acts 29 roots uh, to think, well, we're named City Church because we're a city church. We're for our city. We want to work for the good of our city. That's what we want. That's what Acts 29 has like been about is planting churches in cities all over the world so there might be city churches all over the place. We're a city church. We're working for the good of the city. Those of us who are looking for, like, extra credit might even go to, like, we might be able to quote Jeremiah 29.7, but the truth is, is that we can only, like, quote part of that verse, right? We only really go, like, work for the good of the city, right? That's, that's the whole thing. That's all. Maybe if you, like, a little bit more extra credit, it's like, work for the good of the city and pray to the Lord on its behalf. And you're like, that's it. That's why we're named City Church, right? That's why we're named City Church is because… Uh, Jeremiah, no obscure prophet, uh, told God's people to work for the welfare of the city and pray on its behalf. Now, here's what I've got to admit to you. I am a bit of a contrarian on this point, okay? There are a lot of people that when they preach that passage, when they try to explain it, they would tell you this is like a commandment of God to work for the good of the city. Seek its welfare. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. There's tons and tons, like just tons of sermons on working for the good of the city, and they're all preached out of this passage. And I don't think that they understand the passage, okay? And, and by the way, that's a pretty big thing to say, okay? Because I'm talking about, like, guys like Tim Keller that I'm, like, you know, have a little bit of a bromance with. Like, he doesn't know it. He's not aware of this bromance. But, like, I love, I love Tim Keller, and I actually don't think he gets this passage right. 
You're like, well, who are you? Why are you saying that? Let me, let, me, let me bring you into my contrarianism. And you're like, I don't want any part of that. Like, why are you taking me here? It's actually because it's pretty important. It's pretty important for us to understand who we are as a church to tell you why I don't think that Jeremiah 29.7 is saying, seek the welfare of the city and pray for it on its behalf the way that you've been told that it has. I want to quickly tell you why it's a poor biblical case for why we should be called City Church. And we have to do this by asking the passage, why is God using his prophet Jeremiah to say that, and what is he trying to accomplish? And here's what we got to know. We got to know that nobody ever quotes the whole passage. Nobody, nobody reads the whole thing. Nobody even finishes the sentence, because if you did, you would go to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, and, or ver, starting in verse 4, and you would discover this, thus says the Lord of hosts, we just learned what that meant. Lord of hosts is Lord of armies, the God of Israel. To all of the exiles, I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So he's talking to all of these exiles, God's people being put into Babylon. And here's what he says to them. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Why? That they may, be, that they may bear sons and daughters multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. And you go, yeah, see, there it is. Four. What, what is that four doing in that sentence? For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream for. It is a lie. What we're discovering here is that there's actually a context for what God is trying to do here, okay? And, and when he says, work, you know, like actually pursue the good of the city, when he says, pray to the Lord on its behalf, when he says, seek its welfare, he's doing something. He says, build houses and plant gardens because you're going to stay here. What was happening is there were tons of prophets that were talking to Israel, and they were saying, listen, guys, we're only here for a few months, maybe a year at max. We're not going to be here very long because God loves us. He gave us a place. That place is, you know, in Jerusalem. That's where the center of worship is. God wouldn't leave us here for like 70 years, right? And God's saying, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm putting you in this place for 70 years. And I want you to build houses there. I don't want you to rent, okay? I want you to build houses. And I want you to, like, go, you know, to the restaurants. I want you to plant gardens because you're going to stick around for a little while. He says, give your sons and daughters in marriage. Take wives. Have sons and daughters. Why is he doing that? He's saying, because I don't want you to, like, you know, decrease in number. I want you to thrive in number. I want you to multiply. What in the world is God doing here? I I've literally sat in on... Um, times where this passage is being uh, taught, and pastors that you know were even saying that, like, this passage saying, give your sons and daughters in marriage, were saying that God was saying, go take Babylonian, you know, husbands and wives. And if that's true, I don't think it is, but if that's true, it's like the one time in the Old Testament where God was saying, go and, go and you know, marry the Babylonians, because we're on mission here. We got to use our marriages as a mission field. And if that's true, then what God does when Israel comes back to Israel with all of the wives that have been taken doesn't make any sense if that's what he's saying. So what is he saying? He's saying, you're going to be here, and I'm trying to preserve you. 
Seek the welfare of the city and pray to the Lord on its behalf because in its welfare you will find what? Salvation for Babylon? No. You will find your welfare. You will find your welfare. Jeremiah 29, 11 enunciates this point. God knows what he's planning here. When we ask the why and the what, he tells us, for I know, that the plan, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil. It's to give you a future and to give you a hope. I will hear you, you will seek me, and I will bring you back to your place to be with me. And you say, well, maybe it's both. Maybe he has a plan for Israel and a plan for Babylon. Remember Nineveh? God had a desire to see Nineveh actually grow and, and, and follow him, right? This wicked, evil place called Nineveh. He sent a, uh, a prophet named Jonah to Nineveh, and God had plans for Nineveh. Maybe he has plans for God's people and plans for Babylon. That would make this very curious because just one chapter later, Jeremiah 30, verse 11 says, For I am with you to save you. He's talking to the Israelites. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. And then what does he say that his plan is for Babylon? There in chapter 30, verse 11. This is only one chapter after this famous verse of seeking the welfare of the city. He says, I will make a full end of Babylon. It would be a pretty curious thing if God was saying, work for the good of the city. I have great plans for him, but I'm probably going to destroy him, right? That'd be a weird thing for God to do. It'd be even weirder for Jeremiah in chapter 51 to pretty much just say over and over and over and over again, God is going to destroy Babylon if what his plan is, is for their welfare and their good. Uh, Verse 54 in chapter 51 says, A voice, a cry from Babylon, a, the noise of great destruction. The Lord is laying Babylon waste. He's just destroying it. That's what his plan is for Babylon. Man, Chris, this is a weird sermon. Why are you starting here? We have to have some amount of clarity about why we're called City Church. And if you think that it's because of Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it because there's something higher, there's something better that I want to call us to in our name this morning. God can't be saying to his people, work for the good of the city and redeem it because I have plans for it, and then just lay waste to it because God's plans are never thwarted. There may be good, perfectly good and biblical reasons to be a city kind of church, Okay, so I'm not, I'm not saying that all of these other city churches that are out there that are focused on uh, city church, uh, cities and everything are like doing something wrong. I actually think that there are great reasons to be churches that work for the welfare of a city. I just don't think you can like undergird it out of this passage. I think you'd do a lot better to just go to the Great Commission and go, God really wants for people to know him and follow him and believe in him. I'm not saying that we're going to be a church that's not for seeing our city grow and our thrive. All that I'm saying is, is that we've got a different reason why we are named City Church, okay? So don't take what I'm not saying here. So why then are we named City Church? How ought we think about ourselves? Who is City Church? Now I want to go to Matthew chapter 5 because that is where we're going to learn about this. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light 
to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's the word of the Lord to us this morning. That's why we're going to be a city church. You're like, Chris, I missed it. I missed it. I, don't, I, I, I see the word city, but I don't know what we're after. Here's, here's what I want for us to understand this morning, and we're going to work through this. City church is not a light of the city, okay? We're not a part of the city that's like just happens to like have the job of illumination. City church is not a light of the city. City church is a city of light. We're not part of the city shining light. We are the city of light. That's what city church is. Prove it to me, Chris. Let's do this, okay? Matthew chapter 5, uh, where we're picking up here is in the part, of the, uh, part of Scripture that's very famous. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching to His disciples that have gathered around Him at the foot of this mountain, and He's telling His disciples, He's telling them who they are and how they ought to live. He, t- he has teachings on uh, what kind of attitudes make up like the type of person that follows Him, the disciple that follows Him. He talks about how uh, we interact with marriage and divorce and all these things, but buried in here, there is this Little simple statement in verse 14, you are the light of the world. You're like, well, I don't feel like it much of the time. I actually give a great deal of thought to like whether or not people even know that I'm a Christian. Here's what you need to hear Jesus saying to you as one of his disciples this morning, you are the light of the world. It's not up to you. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything to curate light. You don't have to work harder so that you might burn brighter. You just are the light of the world. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples this morning. I wonder if, if this morning we could really actually just like let that sit in our hearts and go, Jesus called me the light. He made me the light. Maybe you don't fully understand it, but isn't it just marvelous that God would include you as a part of the light that he is because you are the light of the world. Not on your best days, not on the times where you try the most hard. It's just you are the light of the world. Many of us spend a great, time, a great deal of time actually thinking about our witness to the world, and that's okay. But for most of us, we just need to hear that we are. Jesus tells you, you simply are the light of the world. And how are we to understand that? How do we even make sense of that sentence, you are the light of the world? Is he saying that we're a part of the world that just happens to bring illumination? As if we're a part of the greater whole of the room, we just happen to be the light bulb in the room? Is that what he's saying? That we're just a part of the world and we're just the light in the world? Or is Jesus saying that he wants his people to live lives that are illuminatingly attractive and just simply can't be hidden? Jesus actually gives us two examples of this to clarify because he's good. He says that we're like a city on a hill and then he says we're like a lamp. Okay, it says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, here's what you got to know. I live just outside of the city, so I'm literally not a city people, okay, anymore. I come into the city. I spend most days in the city, but I'm not a city person right now. I live in the burbs. That's where we're living right now, okay, so I'm literally not that person. But moving out there has actually taught me something, and that's that I don't really pay attention to nature at all. I didn't, like, really, living in the city, never paid attention to full moon, half moon, you know, no, new moon, none of it. Waxing, waning, didn't know anything about it. 
Also, because I am just uh, was surrounded for decades by the light of just this city, I was like living in it, you didn't realize that it's actually dark out there and that you really can, if you're standing in the country, see the points of light. You can see the stadium lit up. I can see the stadium lit up from my house. I can, the high school stadium, not Dallas Cowboys, though I'm pretty sure that if all the lights were off in Fort Worth, I could probably see that sucker from my house too. But you can see the, the places of business. You can see the centers of commerce just by standing out on my porch. You can go, that's Hudson Oaks. That's downtown Alito. There's the very loud stadium that's only a few stones throw from my house. You can see it. A city set on a hill is the same way. It doesn't have to try. A city doesn't have to try to illuminate itself. Simply by being a city on top of a hill, you can see it. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't hide it. It couldn't be hidden if you tried. You could build the biggest wall around the city that you wanted to, and still the light of the city is going to hit the clouds, and you can tell where it's at. That's what he's saying. He's saying a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus is telling his disciples that they are a beacon. We are a beacon of light. The city of light on a hill demands notice. Jesus wants his people to live lives that are illuminating to this world and attractive that just can't be hidden. Maybe you don't get that. He uses a second example. People light a lamp. And what do they do with it? They put it on a stand. They don't cover it with a basket. They put it up to light up the whole house. Now, here's something that I want you to notice, because I didn't notice it until I was probably on about the 50th time reading this passage, studying for it. What he's saying is, is that the light is up. The city on a hill, it's up. Can't be hidden. The lamp, it's not covered underneath a basket. It's not on the floor. It's on a stand. It's up. Why? So that it can give light to the whole house. The lamp is lifted high. The city is on a hill because the city of light is up so that it might draw attention to us. But there's something mysterious about all of this. Are we the ones that are supposed to be looked at? Is the city of light supposed to be the main attraction? Is it itself the light? We already said that we are light. Those things are up high because they bring safety to us. You can see it. If you're down in the darkness, you can see the light of the city on a hill, and you can be attracted towards it. Or you can stay away from it. That's the truth. Uh, the lamp that's put up on a stand is shining light on the whole house. It's giving light and bringing safety and comfort to those who need it. Last night I went to uh, sleep, and Sawyer was already asleep in the bed. I went over to get a little bit more water. Couldn't see that there was a glass there. Sounds like glass breaking in the middle of the night. My wife like comes in. She's like, what's happened? You okay? Is everything okay? Did somebody just break into our house? Why? Because there's darkness around. And if there's light and it's up, it's giving safety. It's allowing us to see. But there's another reason why the light is elevated. There's another purpose for the elevation of these lights, and it's because there is a greater light. There is a greater light. Look with me in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you, they may see your good works. Now, here's the truth. I don't get the idea from this statement that we are, as a people, to be like a soft glow or a dim flicker. Jesus is saying, you are the light. And if we are the light that others must see, then there has to be something that they are seeing. And here, this says that they're seeing our good works. It says, so that others might see your good works. 
Now, let's be honest about this. This is a little spiritually counterintuitive for us because much of our faith is about how we are not the end that people should be looking at, right? There's a certain amount of humility that's contained in our faith that to say, let other people see your good works, you go, I don't know. I don't think so. Like, don't you remember Daniel? Like, uh, wasn't he supposed, I don't, are you supposed to pray in secret? I I don't know. Like, I don't, I'm confused on the point. And you'd be, it's fair. Because if you're the one that's asking for other people to look at your good, good works, there's something in that that is just counterintuitive. It's uncomfortable. I don't think that that's what this is actually saying. I don't think that it's saying so that people might see your good works, period. That's literally not what this verse says. It says, let your light shine before others so that, so that they might look up to you at this elevated light, but look past you to the greater light. You're like, oh, I don't see that. I don't see where it says that. I don't see how you're getting there. Look at it so that they may see your good works, no period, and give glory to the Father in heaven. The city is on a hill, the light is on a stand, so that others might look up and past us to a heavenly Father who is enthroned in glory, who's enthroned in much light. It's not about your good works. I'm not calling City Church this morning uh, to be a place of good works so that other people might look at us and see what kind of church we built and what type of community we are and how great we are and how big we're growing or not growing. I'm not calling us to any of that. What I'm saying is, is that we need to obey Jesus here because we already are the light. And if we're put on a stand and our good works are shining, people are going to look to us, past us, into the heavenly Father of lights, the greater light. You might notice something here. There's a gospel pattern in all of this. There's a gospel pattern here in the life of Jesus even. There's simple, faithful life of righteous good works, okay? That's what we're being called to here. It's just a simple, faithful life of good works. And that that is the light, That's Jesus' light shining in us. But here's the pattern. That simple life, that faithful life, that righteous life of good works is raised up in order to glorify the Father. Do you hear the pattern? Let me make it like really explicit. Jesus says this a little while on in, um, uh, in Matthew. He says, you sent John, that's John the Baptist. Jesus is saying, you sent John the Baptist and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things that you might be saved. What is Jesus doing? He's he's working for salvation. He, that's John, was a burning and shining lamp. He's saying, John was the kind of person that I want you to be. He was a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for a little while in his light, but the testimony I have, that's Jesus, but the testimony I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, that's interesting. Jesus was given works to accomplish by the Father. Just nothing magnificent, nothing crazy, just simple, faithful, good works. You might go, Chris, I've I've read the Gospels. Like, Jesus does some miraculous, amazing things. He's healed blind people. He's, you know, uh, um, like literally caused people to like step up off of mats that they were on for decades. Like he was, uh, he was able to do magnificent, amazing things. Here's a question that I've got for you. 
God of this universe, most amazing, like awe-inspiring, crazy things that he could have done? Not really. Not really. They were pretty humble, faithful for the God of this universe to be doing. Miraculous, amazing, pointing to a new kingdom, pointing to a greater father. That's the point of all of this. But simple, faithful, righteous, good works, that's what he's doing. I'll finish it. But the testimony I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I am doing bear witness about me that the, uh, that, uh, the Father has sent me. There's this pattern worked out here, simple, faithful, righteous, good works of Jesus. But then what happens to Jesus? Jesus also is raised up. He's raised up in a different way, right? He's not the city on a hill. He's not the lamp on a stand. He's the crucified Savior on a cross. It's, it's, it's an irony. It's a paradox that Jesus, the light of the world, came here and had to be extinguished, had to be snuffed out by a basket, had to be covered over by a tomb and a grave in order for that light to be given to us. Remember, just a few moments ago, I said that Jesus was telling us in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light. You're like, oh man, I don't feel like I'm the light. I forgot to brush my teeth this morning. I'm pretty sure I'm not the light. Like, no, no, no. The God of this universe died. He was extinguished. His light was put out. And now you are the light. That's the pattern. Jesus, simple, faithful, righteous works, raised up, crucified, why? The very works I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. The Father's the one, the, Father's the one that's receiving glory for the works of Jesus. The Father's the one that is receiving the glory for the works of those who are in Christ Jesus here in this passage. You want to be my disciple? Simple, faithful works. Be a city on a hill. Be a light on a stand that other people may look at you in this elevated state, this light state that you are, and not extinguish their, uh, uh, their worship on you, but look past you to the heavenly Father, the heavenly Father of lights. There's a pattern. Do you see it? Simple, faithful works. Sacrifice, glory to God in the end. John's light was shedding light on Jesus. Jesus' light is giving glory to the Father, through the cross and the resurrection. Jesus' light was extinguished on the cross so that you could be light. Jesus raised from the dead that your light might be eternal and unfading in its light. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit that you might be burning brightly as a follower of Jesus. Jesus has made us into one church, a city on a hill that others might see and give glory to God. Jesus is making us into a holy and eternal city. And you might go, Chris, okay, that I was, you had said all of that stuff. You are repeating yourself until that last one. You said, Jesus is making us into an eternal city. Turn with me, Revelation chapter 21. This is where we're gonna, you know, kind of stick our landing this morning. So uh, do go here, because we're going to just read some really magnificent things. What I said is, is that Jesus is making us into a holy and eternal city. You're like, what's, the, what's that city? What's that city's name? 
Our name is City Church. What's that city's name? Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. You're like, I've read that. Have you read this? And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give uh, from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Then I want to skip to verse 9. It says this, then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in spirit to a great high mountain and showed me what? And showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out from heaven, out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal, It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and the 12 gates had 12 angels, and and on the gates the name of the tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates, the north three gates, the south three gates, the west three gates. This city had walls. It goes on, if you'll continue reading this week, it goes on to describe this magnificent city. Who's the city? Who's the city? We're the city. We're the city. This is saying that Jesus is making a city. He's he's making all things new. He's made a new heavens and new earth. And then descending into that new heavens and new earth, like a bride prepared for uh, her husband, this beautiful new Jerusalem is coming out of the sky and planting itself on earth. I want to go down and, and read this. This is magnificent. If you're not following me here, we're the city. God's people are the city. The city isn't the buildings. It's not the streets. It's not the parks. It's none of that stuff. The city is the people. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God and the Almighty and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamp of the Lamb... By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. So out of darkness, the nations and the kings will come, and at its gates, and its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring it into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I wonder if I've connected the dots here well enough. I wonder if I'm, I'm really like talking about this in the right ways. Why are we called City Church? 
Is it because of an, a fairly obscure passage in the Old Testament? Or is it because Jesus commands us to be a city, to be a people on a hill, radiating his light so that God the Father might receive glory? That's it. That's it. That's why we're called City Church. If someone were to ask you, they won't. So you're like, man, this has been an exercise that has no practical application. Uh, if somebody asks you, why, why City Church? Don't talk to them about Fort Worth. Talk to them about the light of the world, Jesus, and how he made us into a city, a city people. Together, we are the city. Chris, why, why are we talking about this? Because that's what Jesus is doing. He's making a city, a new Jerusalem. He's purifying it. He's putting garments on her, and he's going to allow her to descend as a forever city that doesn't need walls, because what would the walls do to, like, really uh, uh, protect anything? The walls are just there for glory. They have gates in them so that people might come into the city. It's like, well, uh, what about the sun and the moon and the stars? They're not going to be there. We're not even going to need them. You won't notice them. Why? Because Jesus' throne room is too bright. We won't even need it. We're going to be the new Jerusalem, and that's why for us at City Church, we have to be a city unto God, not unto ourselves, a city of light. City Church is not a light of the city of Fort Worth. City Church is a city of light. When you think city, I want you to think people. When you think city church, I want you to think people. When you think City Church, I want you to think about this people. Don't think about Fort Worth. Think about us. Because that's what Jesus is thinking about. Be a city of light on a hill. Don't be hidden. I'm going to pray for us this morning, and then I'm, I'm going to take a seat, and we're going to talk a little bit about the practical applications of some of that, and then we're going to sing and we're going to get on with the day. Does that sound good? God and Father, would you make us an elevated city of light that gives you glory through the work of your hands. Father, I just pray that you would make us into a people. Lord, for, for years, Father, uh, we've been segmented. We've been scattered throughout the city in small missional communities, and I'm not sure how brightly our light has shone. We've been the light. I know that we have been. You've told us that we are. We couldn't have possibly done anything to, uh, to take away from that. But Father, I wonder if we've been the light that you've called us to be, been unhidden in different ways. Father God, I pray that you would make this city church a city of light. Would we be your people? Would we be your light? Would we give you glory? Would other people see our good works and give glory to you. Father, I pray for these things in the most earnestness that I can, that you might accomplish them in this new year. And so I pray for them in a name that is above every name, and that's our Savior Jesus. Amen. So I want to do something unusual. You might even think, man, this is pretty weird. You know, why are we, why are we essentially going to have like a fireside chat this morning uh, and everything? It's, it's strange. Um, I'll 
I'll just totally agree with that. But I want to tell you a little bit about what I want in 2021, um, not the City 101 piece, uh, but just a little bit. It's not going to take too long. Um, and I want to give you all an opportunity to ask questions about it. So I'm going to breeze through a couple of things that I just I want to tell us kind of where we're going, what we're doing as the city that's any different than any other church or that's different than who we have been in the past, okay? Here's the first thing that I want to tell you. At the City Church, we are going to be unapologetically building a biblical worldview, okay? I don't think that that's something that we've really done in the past. We certainly haven't been, like, really focused on it. You're like, that sounds like a weird thing to be about as a church. It's really not. Everything is trying to shape your worldview. Every hour that you spend on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, every book that you read, everything that you take part in, every, uh, your college was trying to shape you into something. Some of them are better at it than others. You know, I don't think I see any, like, uh, A&M alum in here. Oh, I forgot it. I did, but no woo. Oh, uh, there we go. All right, so here's one of the things. I don't like A&M. But I really like what A&M does, okay? I would gladly send my kids to A&M. Uh, it's because I'm an Alabama fan. But, uh, and y'all are in the SEC team. So I root for you guys sometimes. A&M does this thing that, that I don't see very many other colleges do. They unapologetically try to shape people into A&M alum. It's like Texas X's, they kind of do it, but it's just too segmented and fragmented. Like, you can be very individualistic and go to, like, UT. A&M's really trying to shape you into something. City Church is going to be working on a worldview. You may not see it overtly, but we're going to be doing it. That's what we're going to be. The business about this church is going to be trying to form into a unified, biblical worldview, a city, together. That's what we're going to be trying to do. You're like, well, I think that I probably get some of that. We told you that we want to trust the Word of God to make and grow disciples in three things, truth, hope, and steadfastness. We chose those three things specifically because we want, we see the need in a world that uh, honestly uh, is filled with lies, that has, you know, whether it's fake news or like, you know, all this other stuff. We've got all the different words. It's like your truth. There's no your truth. There's one truth. We're going to be trying to form our people into that. We're going to not apologize about that. If the book has something to say about uh, gender, if Jesus has something to say about the way that we interact with one another in love, we're going to be unapologetic about seeking truth and clarity in those areas, okay? It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be good because we're really going to try to shape a city in this. We're going to be looking for hope. We're going to be looking for steadfastness by building a worldview. You're like, I've heard this word before. Um, here's the truth. Every effective worldview begins with two foundational questions. Uh, they may not even realize it, but it's true. What is the nature of God? What's the nature of man? Those are the two fundamental questions. Everything in this world tries to answer those two questions. If you are trying to build a worldview and you say there is no God, that's an answer to what is the nature of God. If you say uh, that man has uh, free, uninhibited free will, you're, saying, you're making a claim, a truth claim about who the nature of man is. At City Church, we're going to be trying to answer those two fundamental questions. What is the nature of God? What is the nature of man? You might go, well, tell me up front, like, what do you want to do there? What's the nature of man? There's two things that are going to be guiding principles for us in this area. 
We're going to be answering the question of what is the nature of God from a, unique, uh, from a Reformed theology, okay? You might think that you know what that means. Come and ask me if you want to know what that means, okay? Don't be afraid of that. That's a good thing. We have Reformed theology at this church. You might go, well, I want a little bit more flexibility than that. It's great. You can come here. We're, we're going to be great. We're going to be a family. We are not going to be a hyper-reformed, you know, kind of church that, like, every time you're here, we're, like, just pounding away at, like, reform. But it is going to be the worldview that we're working and massaging into, like, I couldn't possibly, if you're like, I don't even know what reformed theology is. If you've listened to things that I've said out of God's worth, uh, word and you agree with it, you're generally going to be reformed. Like, you know, reformed theology is a good thing. Uh, if you want... Um, more information on that, don't just go Google it. There's a lot of different views on what Reformed theology is. Let's talk about it. Let's experience it together. The second part of the nature of God is, is that I want to uh, approach God from a relational perspective. A lot of churches just think about God that so, uh, God is something that is out there, and we're just doing our thing, and it connects in some, like, you know, really vague way. No, no, no. God is a personal God. He has personal relationships with us. How are we going to approach the worldview of what is the nature of God? We're going to be reformed and relational in the way that we think through that. What is the nature of man? Uh, I'm going to speed through this, but I want to, I want to give you an idea of, of what is going to make City Church unique in some ways. A lot of churches approach uh, what the nature of man is from two truths, but like that are that tend to be polar opposites from one another. Man is really complex. The, the best and most simple ways that I've heard it said is, is that you can kind of say that human beings uh, have a head, a heart, and hands, okay? That uh, we have, uh, you know, a mind that we're trying to, you know, uh, interact with this world through, that we have a heart, a soul, affections, things like that, and that we have hands, we have behaviors that we're trying to actually, you know, enact. Most churches, one way or another, either maximize on the head or the hands. The, uh, some churches, you know, uh, try to cultivate, like, really, you know, a lot of work. They're trying to get your, they're trying to put your hands to work. That's what the church, the whole church is all about that. There are lots of other churches that we know that are primarily aimed at your mind. If we can just claim your mind, if we can just teach you things, then you'll be like what you're supposed to be. I actually don't love segmenting things out that way, but if we were going to be a church about anything, we'd be a church of the heart and of the affections. And you might go, I don't understand how that's different from every other church. It's very different from every other church. If you don't think so or want to know more, just read any book from Augustine. St. Augustine is all about how human beings are the um, affections of their heart, their desires, their wants, the things that they crave. You are what you love. We're going to be focusing on that. We're going to be treating human beings with the dignity and respect to not neglect the heart and only aim at either the hands or the head. My, my personal this may be a little too philosophical, you know, in some ways, but I promise you it has like real actual outworkings. I believe that if we capture the heart, not manipulate it, if we capture the heart, the renewal of the mind and the obedience of the hands to Jesus Christ's commandments will follow out of that. So City Church, we're going to be unapologetically building a biblical worldview, and we're going to be doing it through that lens. You may not even notice it, but that's what we're going to be doing. I'm giving you the secret sauce before we head into 2021 because that's what's going to make City Church unique and different. That's what's going to grow City Church, I really honestly believe. 
Second, I, I want to unapologetically build rhythms and create environments for worship. And I want to use, for the next season, I want to aim at two things that help us shape those things. I want to aim at simplicity and excellence. We're not going to be a big, blown out, like huge ministry church. We're not going to develop out tons of programs. But what we are going to do is try to be excellent at the things that we are. If I can be honest with you, we have not been excellent in the past. And I think that it's distracted from worship. I think it has inhibited our ability to actually create environments for worship. This next year, we're going to be focusing on creating environments of worship that are simple and excellent. Um, I've got to learn how to do this because it's really hard. To make things simple, it's really hard. To make them very complex, it's very easy. Uh, it takes maybe, you know, a lot of work. To make them simple it takes, I think, more work. But that's what we're going to be after. And so um, I, I want you to think in this way. I want you to see the value in the environments that we create and help us uh, to you know, shape those. If you've got a, a thought, uh, if you've got something that you feel like the Holy Spirit is guiding you towards, I want to know about it. I want to learn from you too. Um, and so uh, the one thing that I would ask is, is that you would humbly submit to the resources that we give you and give it some time to work. We've developed, I think, a lot of habits as a church that may be, may be neutral, neither good nor bad, but we're going to be trying to move towards, like, good habits as a church, it's not going to work in the first week, okay? The new hires that I just told you about, they're, they're not even really starting until the second week of January, and I'm looking at the first quarter of next year as a time that I really want for us to be, like, practicing, growing in simplicity and excellence. So it's not going to happen in one week. It's going to take some time. Stick with us. Give us some grace. Help pitch in uh, for that. But we're going to be unapologetically trying to build rhythms and create uh, environments for worship that are simple and excellent. And loosely speaking, I want to uh, uh, work to shape our gatherings and our discipleship groups over the first quarter to be a place that we are like really worshiping in, that we're really proud of, and that like we can invite people into. Okay, so the first quarter of this next year might be a little bit awkward like a middle schooler. We're going to try some things on that doesn't quite fit or whatever else. We're going to be working towards it. But my goal is, is that by the second quarter of this year that we'll be starting to hit some stride in those things and that this will be a place that um, is really cultivating those things. Is it helpful to give some amount of clarity even talking about like the quarters? You can shake your head or nod. Nods preferred. I've got some nods. Okay. Um, I want to unapologetically grow our church. That might actually stir up some emotions in you. Uh, here's what I mean. I want to grow our church spiritually. I want to grow our church spiritually. I want to unapologetically be heading at growth in the spiritual areas. Like when we were making a decision on whether or not to continue on as a church, the question that I had in my mind and that I will continue to have is what is going to bring the most glory to God and the most good for our people? The most glory, the most good. We're going to aim at that. I believe that it's actually growing our church. Not just spiritually, but I do actually want to see our size grow a little bit. Um, you know, uh, that may seem a little like, eh, I don't like that. That's weird and like kind of strategic and everything else. Here's what I'm not saying. I don't think we could be a mega church if we tried, and I'm not sure that I want to be anything near a mega church. But I do think that there is a relative size that if we can be making disciples and growing disciples, like our mission statement, you know, expresses, that it takes some of the heavy lifting off of people that are bearing under a really heavy load right now. So I would like to see our church trend towards growth, even in numbers. 
I would prefer that that comes from people knowing and trusting in Jesus Christ and just coming in and growing and like for us to catch fire in that way. But I do actually want to be honest with you and tell you that like one of my goals for us in 2021 is for us to have some steadfastness and then begin to grow in that way. And I'm not going to like shy away from saying that. It's not about collecting numbers. It's not about power or prestige or anything like that. It is about like trying to grow as a body to where we can be that city on a hill. I think it takes people to be a city. So I don't want to apologize about wanting it to grow. Um, so I, I want for us to, you know, stay small and simple and faithful, but there are some advantages to being a little larger. If you're not with me on that, think about, like, the things that we want most for our kids and for our students. I want to see our elder teams and deacon teams uh, grow and thrive. If you have any inclination to be on either one of those teams, if you feel like God might be calling or working on you, whether it's this year or 10 years from now, I want to know about it. So please come to one of our elders and tell us if you feel like God's calling uh, us to that. I want to see ministries arise as the Holy Spirit gives us opportunity uh, here in this church. Um, lastly, I got two more things very quickly. I want to unapologetically elevate the priority of evangelism. Our world is dying, and we as the church have the antidote. I want a city church cultivate a heart for the lost and seek to have better skills in apologetics and, uh, and evangelism. And if that's frightening to you, um, good, that's okay. It's kind of frightening to me too. If you don't want to do it, this is not the church for you. I'll just say it plainly. We have to be a people that's telling a broken world about the one hope that they have for eternity. And if we're not, we should not be a church. Because we aren't a church, frankly. I want to elevate and see apologetics and evangelism arise in our elder team and our discipleship groups. And I want to see people with those gifts turn around and teach us how to use those things. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. Daniel Winkler is... He has an evangelistic heart. I think he's gifted to do it. I want, I want to learn from Daniel Winkler how to do that. I don't see how our, uh, I don't want to see our church become a seeker-sensitive church. You won't see this space be, become something that's like uh, uh, specifically curated to make everything nice and easy for non-believers to come in. We will not be doing a Harley giveaway at Easter. We're not going to do any of those things. But we are going to like create a space where our city can grow and where that light can shine forth by doing the things that our family needs to do together and having people see that and want to come into it. If we're being a place of truth, of hope, and of steadfastness, it will be attractive to other people. So I'm not going to, be a, we're, I'm not going to lead us to be an attractional church, but I do want for us to be an attractive church. Capiche? Lastly, I want to unapologetically see our church function as a city uh, as a body with parts, gifts used across the body. This means providing opportunities to see and celebrate. People use their giftings, not just receive from my giftings or Andrew's giftings or our lead team's giftings, but actually use their giftings. I want to see an environment arise like that. This means an opportunity for a healthy, functioning elder team and deacon teams. So like I said, please come and let us know. This means providing space for the sacraments, for communion and baptism, also for membership and uh, member discipline. Discipline is uh, one of those things that like gets lost and it feels like, oh, that sounds harsh and unloving. It's like membership, being able to be a member as a part of a church, uh, being in a place where you know that if you uh, step out in unrepentant sin, that like you're going to be lovingly called back to obedience. It's vital, and I don't, I don't see very many churches do that at all. I want to be a church that uh, uh, has 
communion on, you know, on Sunday mornings. I want to see people be baptized. I want to see people come into membership. We're giving that opportunity over the course of January and hopefully for forevermore uh, and everything. And I want to be a church that lovingly practices Matthew 18, church discipline. I want to see those things. And I want to not feel apologetic about that. So I uh, have mismanaged our time completely to prove that there is a need for simplicity and excellence. So I am going to be true to my word and give space for questions uh, and everything and just say, if you need to get out of here, feel free to get up because that's my fault, not yours. Um, so are there any questions that like come to mind that have been just like burning? Know that we've got uh, January 3rd at 8 o'clock, we've got our uh, City 101, so we're totally available for questions then. Um, any questions that just like ringing in your ear, you got to know them and you got to know them today. Yeah. No one would ever ask you, why is the name of your church City Church? Just kidding. That was about how funny that was. <laughs> oh, it was, can you start over from the beginning? Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Uh, it's unfair to, like, ask you guys to ask questions uh, after going long and everything, and I do want to sing two more songs and then get out of here. So, do we have any questions from online that just, all right. Yeah. Yeah, that's just a fantastic question, and, it's, and it's, it's loaded, and it's not something that I think we should be, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, if you want to know the answer to the question, the question was like, hey, if you, uh, where were you? Because if you keep on doing the things that you had been doing in the past, you're just going to keep on doing the same things. Because the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. That's exactly what you're saying, and that's exactly right. Um, it, there's more than nine years of like a story there. Uh, what I'll promise is on our City 101 date, um, I'm going to ask if that group of people wants to go through the, like our history as, the church, uh, as a church to understand that, and I'll give as like helpful of an answer to that as possible. What I will say is, is that I mentioned the very brief answer to your question is, if we were, like I mentioned the head, heart, hands piece earlier, our church does not, has not cleanly fit into uh, one of those things because we, we've been through a lot of different things. But I think that our church has wanted to see more activity out of our hands without ever like really addressing the heart of our people. And there was, that was a reaction to most churches being more mind-driven and what I'm actually saying is, is that what will be different about City Church moving forward is I'm not going to try to cultivate behavior in you or modify your behavior. I'm not going to try to, like, get you to do things. Like, that's my, my goal as a pastor is not to get you to be more active in your faith. I want that. But I don't want to aim at that kind of fruit. That's like, Andrew says this really well, that's like stapling fruit to the tree, and I'm not going to do that. Um, but there's a lot, of, a lot of other churches that really aim at the head, and they just think, man, if we can just teach people uh, the right things, then they'll behave rightly and they'll feel rightly. I don't think that that's true either. 
what I unapologetically want to do and what will be different at City Church is not primarily like the environments of worship or any of those things. It's that our elder team and our people will aim at cultivating and curating our loves because if we rightly order our loves, if we love Jesus the most as a people, everything else will flow out of that. I, I will, I'm betting our church on it. That's the truth. If I, if I can lead our church towards cultivating love and affections for Jesus, there will be more hands being obedient to Jesus Christ. There will be more minds that are renewed like, you know, Romans tells us to be. So I'm betting our church on if we aim at the heart, if we aim at the affections, all of the rest of the stuff flows out of that. It'll be a learning process. We're going to try some things on and, you know, it won't fit, you know, some of it, uh, but I'm really... I'm, I'm wanting to see more affections in me and my family. I'm wanting to see more affections for Jesus on our elder team. I'm wanting to see the motivations of our heart be a depth of uh, grace and gratitude and thankfulness and uh, faithfulness and love and kindness. And if all of those are the fruit of the Spirit and they're in our hearts, I'm just betting that we are a real church, a real city church on a hill for everyone to see. That's what I'm thinking. But yeah, I, it's a really good question, and uh, I'm not afraid of our history. Our history has been, you know, uh, fraught with some hardships, disappointments, but it's also been filled with a lot of graces, so I don't want to, like, you know, uh, downplay that. So I'll tell you about both at City 101 if you want to come and hear about it.